Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. I'll be speaking with Ira Kaufman, who is a transformation strategist, CEO, and social entrepreneur as well as educator. Ira's 40 years of management experience spans three worlds, business, nonprofit, and education. His work is driven by using values to fuel purposeful action and change. Earning his Ph.D. in marketing and a master's in sociology under the mentorship of Dr. Philip Coter at Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, he, Ira, has worked with Dr. Coter to advance early initiatives in social marketing, using marketing to further a purpose. His company, Entwine Digital, works with midsize and multinationals to design values-based digital marketing and transformation strategies and trans-world-class digital leaders. His strategic transformation platform provides a values-driven framework for managing continuous change to fuel purposeful social impact adventures and ventures. He consults with executives everywhere actually in the world. We invited Ira on today to talk about a subject that is very near and dear to our hearts here at A Better World, which is using business and social entrepreneurship as a vehicle for change and transformation in this planet. As I've so often said, it's been business that has brought us to the very brink of disaster, meaning the issues around global warming, around completely inhumane practices taking place in labor across the planet, uh, the abuse of women and people altogether. And I also interestingly believe, as does Ira, that business can be the very vehicle for the transformation of our relationship to each other to bringing a greater ethical compass to the subject, as well as our relationship to the planet, which is in such dire need of reformation. So this will be the subject of today's talk, and I hope you enjoy it. And Ira Kaufman, welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you, my friend. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mitchell, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share my knowledge and experiences with you and your colleagues. Beautiful. I'm so glad. So let's pick up first on, let's just sort of define our terms, which you and I can bandy about easily and fluidly, uh, but let's just make sure that our audience here, Ira, is on the same page. So they hear the name, the phrase, uh, social entrepreneurship, social enterprise, values-driven business, purpose-driven business, these are all uh, phrases and in some ways catchphrases that do catch the attention and make people begin to get curious about what these all mean, distinct from, let's say, conventional business. So could you just give us some definitions so we have a platform on which to then proceed? And then I'd actually like to get into some work of yours regarding this thing called digital marketing. So if you take okay. it from the top. Sure. Well, um, I, I think we can go back um, to really understand 
the business enterprise, if we, we can just go back for about five minutes and just look at where the, where the business enterprise came from. You know, both you and I have traveled the world, you know, and uh, been to many countries. And the first place we visit is where? Usually the market, right? The places where commerce is done. And it's the sort yes, of the center exactly. of commerce. In the given and place, it's where, right, in the marketplace. Right. It's where the values and the culture meet, you know. And it's the place where yes, indeed. it's the center of communication. Uh, yes. That is the traditional marketplace. And, and the power in that marketplace was built upon relationships, uh, yes. relationships of the community and of the people. Uh, they had a, merchants were friends with the customers. There was a small village, and it was very transparent. Uh, they strive to differentiate uh, themselves by great customer service, the best product in the world, because everybody could see each other. They had honest weight measures, and they were really interested in what mm-hmm. we really called the, the customer experience. And their, their partners and their customers, were, there was no separation between uh, their business values, their spiritual values, and their family values, because it was all tied mm-hmm. together. Uh, and it was tied together by trust uh, and their reputation and the community support. Well, then the industrial age In other words, the assumption of integrity. The assumption of integrity was implicitly there because the Mm -hmm. transparency was if you went from one stall to the other, you know, everybody had – you were transparent. Everybody could see if you had a bad loaf of bread or you had a bad pot that you were selling, right, clearly. Mm -hmm. So what happened the next step in is that we – our current business situation happened where – we weren't dealing with um, individuals, but we were uh, aggregating a lot of the resources, and we were selling things uh, not directly to the people, but through marketing channels. So the power uh, and the currency was something that we controlled. We controlled technology. We controlled market position. We controlled the quality of the product. It wasn't transparent anymore. Um, you know, uh, this new company was focused on change. Uh, spiritual values and business values were different. There was a discrepancy between the two of them. Greed overtook honesty. Uh, you know, value was optimized for the investor and not of all their friends and colleagues and the community which surrounded them in the marketplace. And, and capitalism at that point in those those in, in the the days of the consumer revolution and the industrial revolution were based on what we call in business KPIs or key performance indicators. You know, you heard of that, I'm sure. And, and, these, no, and the business, the business was mean? a value. That, the KPIs are sales, uh, uh, profit, uh, brand recognition. It's the way the company performs on the external level. It's how companies are, are performed on the external level. So this is what has happened over the years. And companies, if they were responsible or what we called corporately responsible or had what we call CSR, corporate social responsibility, they mm-hmm. donated to the Heart Fund, the local church or synagogue or mosque. They, con- they gave money to the local community, the education. It was very siloed. It didn't have anything to do with the business. It sometimes helped the community and was something that sometimes they got some marketing benefit from, if you know what I'm saying. So there was sort of mm-hmm. an alternative motive there. The, the next iteration is happening right now, where what we're calling is that there is a call globally for a different kind of behavior. One, it's not self-serving. 
and one is not promoting uh, only the goals of of the company, but it's promoting what we're really calling a quadruple bottom line. The mm-hmm. quadruple bottom line stands for people, four P's, planet, profit, and prosperity of the community. So therefore, mm-hmm. the decisions need to be made not just about one shareholder, the investor, but all of the stakeholders. The stakeholders have to be benefiting. So who are the stakeholders in this new paradigm which you call the social enterprise? Okay? They're people. That means the customer has to be dealt with honestly. The employee has to feel trust, motivation, respect. And the partner in the supply chain has to be respected and honored. The next element is the planet. The planet is based on the environment, the, 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 the elements you put in the food and how in the food or the product, and the elements of how it's um, used and how it's recycled or how it's uh, disposed of when when the product is completed. The third element is profit. Let's just say the people. element of zero waste. Right, the zero waste. The That's principle the planet, of right? zero waste. Would be the exactly, optimal, or, or the, uh, the ultimate would be the, cir- the circular economy, where you related. actually design mm-hmm. things so they could be reused. Okay, that's right. And, and the third that's element in this quadruple bottom line is profit. Okay, and that is corporate profit. They're realizing profit, not an excessive profit, but a profit which would satisfy their 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 shareholders, but also leave enough for the last P, which is the prosperity of the community. And in the world where now, there's really a tipping point happening uh, because uh, the next generation, the generation, the millennial generation and the Z generation, the millennials being the, the 20 to 35s and the Zs are the, you know, under, eight, the under 18s, uh, have a whole different moral ethical compass and a whole different set of values which they're holding these corporations to. The old idea of corporate social responsibility, which the corporations could give and donate to if it had a marketing um, opportunity or if one of their uh, their board members uh, liked a specific organization, is, is really coming to be a thing of the past. Then now the new corporation, or what would call the corporation who is believes in cor- social citizenship or social impact, needs to be holistic and comprehensive about addressing the needs of all of these stakeholders of the quadruple bottom line. So when uh, a company is now evaluated on its social impact performance, it's looking at how the company prospers the local community, how it prospers the education of its employees and the the, play, the education of where the company is located, uh, how it deals with public and personal health issues, how it deals with security and migration issues. You know, th- this sort of goes back in the last oh, maybe five or six years of uh, the CEO of Nestle, uh, went on a on a, a, a visit to his corporate plants 
and one of them was the major um, facility which was producing bottled water in North Africa. In Michigan? In North Africa. In North Africa, in in Egypt. And he Mm -hmm. went to that facility, and he started looking around and asking questions, and they were selling bottled water there, you know, 10 years ago or something like that for a, a buck a bottle, you know, whatever it is. And who was using the bottled water is the visitors, right? The visitors' population were using a lot of the it. The tourists. And he, mm-hmm. and he found out that the, uh, the people who were making the bottled water and the plant did not have clean water for his, their families. Mm-hmm. And he saw a real dispar- uh, discrepancy between bottling water for visitors and not having clean water for the people that were doing the bottling. Th- that didn't work. So he began a whole uh, process of policy, business policy revision where every corporate uh, country president had to be responsible for the, pro- the, the financial bottom line and the social impact bottom line. And that grew into a movement called not corporate social responsibility, but creating shared value. And the creating Mm -hmm. shared value meant that companies needed to uh, consider investing in the communities and the people and their suppliers and their customers, as well as just taking profits from those people. So there had to be an investment back in the community. So what happened is they invested in the education system. They provided clean water for everybody in the village or in the villages in in the area in Egypt who were bottling the water. So the prosperity of the community was increased as the profits, which were being generated from the plant, were also increasing. So that is, a, that is sort of trying to sort of redefine uh, where, where this is happening. Uh, what are the, the definitions of these concepts? Does yeah. that sort of give us some Thank clarity? You. That does. That does. Thank you very much. I'd like so, to go so back. There's another to layer that, on top of this. If you'd like to take the next layer. Well, I'd like to uh, go back to something, Ira. Okay, sure. Which uh, came to mind as you were laying out the original local marketplace. That, as you said, when we travel, we really do tend to go to the place of trading and the fruits and the vegetables and the various kinds of artwork and the like. Uh, the marketplace. And so there was a transparency there. People knew each other, and there was no disparity, as you were saying, between uh, business values and family values and spiritual values. Values They were all one. And the thing is that people could look at each other. They could look at the merchandise. They could look each other in the eye, and people knew each other. So there was a level of, as I said, assumed integrity, as well as just trust. And just the the visuals, the you know, you could see was it a good loaf of bread or was it not, or vegetable or fruit. Uh, but then there was a transition into the larger, from the marketplace with individual vendors to the larger corporate context, where there had to be a carryover of that sense of trust, except there wasn't the same transparency. There wasn't the same personalness because no longer were you dealing with a person face-to-face and eyeball-to-eyeball. You were now dealing with a third-party entity of some sort. Yet, in order to do good business, 
you had to still and all trust that company. So would you say that there was a little bit of a breakdown when corporations really began to kind of uh, gain a larger place in the marketplace? Because making that transition is not necessarily a smooth one. Well, as I uh, well, as I said, you know what happened is when uh, the, the consumer society, the industrial economy, uh, replaced the local marketplace. There was a, there was a transition in values because uh, those the the merger between or the, the merger between family, spiritual, and and business values uh, were not there anymore, and they were overtaken by greed, which overtook honesty. Uh, in many senses, yes. and people were trying to take advantage or get a competitive advantage uh, to optimize the one uh, stakeholder. One aspect of the bottom line, which is money. Which was the investor, right, right exactly. Except the and, thing is this, that that doesn't translate well because people who run corporations know that they need to maintain that level of trust and would do what they could to earn that trust. So I agree that there has been, there was a tremendous breakdown, a significant breakdown in trust and, and an upsurge, if you will, of, of greed and the investors, the only thing that's important of the several that you mentioned. But what now, here is a corporation doing what they can to earn and maintain our trust. How does that flesh out? Well, I'll take one step back and, and then go two steps forward. Uh, sure. There's a very uh, important um, uh, metric which has been developed over the last 20 years by uh, the Edelman Group out of Washington, D.C. Oh, it's yes. called the Edelman mm-hmm. Trust Barometer. I don't know if you ever heard of it. But that yes. uh, has measured the level of trust in major institutions, four major institutions, Politics, media, nonprofit, and business over the last 25 government. years. Mm-hmm. Government, government, and politics, and uh, that uh, that level has dropped has has dropped from being 70, 60 to 70 percent trust factor to less than 50 percent over the last three years. And that oh, is that boy. means there are there the people around the world more there is more mistrust for those four institutions than there is trust which is a really scary thing because people people buy on trust people employees serve and get motivated on trust uh supply chain partners uh develop relationships on trust and so forth and so on yes. so th- these 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 statistics are really uh answer addressing this real breach in the relationship between the citizen the voter, the consumer, the patient, the yes. student, and the institutions that they reflect. That's right. When trust so erodes, we're, we're everything goes. So we're in a really goes. tragic position. But at the same time, there's a countervailing force. It's the force of social and digital media. Mm-hmm. The social and digital media has brought a new level of transparency, which was prevalent in the marketplace. It allows each one of these uh, people in their relationships with their institution, student, 
patient, citizen, consumer, to see exactly what the product is, the service they're, they're buying or selling, what the satisfaction level is by themselves and their peers, um, the level of performance that the product does, the level of brand promise that the company, the institution is satisfying, and they can give feedback which uh, in real time allows uh, the people, the person, to be publish data on the institution. So therefore, we're coming full circle around back to the village marketplace, but now it's yes. the social media network, which is now uh, riding herd on the values and the questions. So now corporations uh, are being forced, uh, maybe not by policy, but to begin to look at these other three elements in uh, the uh, stakeholder uh, paradigm or model. So now we have to, the, 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 the model has changed from just looking at one specific stakeholder, which was the investor, to uh, the people, the employees, the partners, as well as the community as being other stakeholders. So, so we're what now, you're saying uh, then, Ira, is that there is a return to what I really hear you saying is that transparency and trust factor via social media, uh, meaning that there's a completed feedback loop again. Yes, so that's one aspect of, of, the, of the forces that are at play to uh, call corporations to a higher order of trust and transparency. The second thing is that their brands are in the hands of the people uh, because every brand that's out there is being judged in real time by the people that are using them. So they're getting immediate mm -hmm. feedback, and therefore the profit that is related to these brands are they being realized that they have to be uh, true to the promise and their the, the, uh, the, the, the values which are supposed to drive them. And I'm going to get back to values. In other words, that's they're that's being really held accountable is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. They're being held by accountable by social media, which is absolutely. one of its finest applications, one of its finest Absolutely, views. absolutely. Rather than looking time, at what we had for breakfast this morning, we can actually hold each other accountable. And, for instance, I'm just thinking about Yelp as one of many, many uh, venues for giving feedback on doctors, on dentists, on restaurants, you name it. Exactly. It's a place where people are asked to sort of weigh in, and people's opinions matter. And that's what's, that is the evolution of the economy toward what we really be calling a shared economy. And you, we see yes. that in Uber right now. You know, Uber yes. you know, transformed the economy uh, of, of um, having a situation where there was one supplier of, of uh of, of, a, of a service to bring somebody from point A to point B, and now they tapped a latent market of uh, a latent network, really, of people who uh, had cars, had spare time, and wanted to earn extra money, and they became the drivers, and they had another latent network of people that wanted a more technical, uh, faster service where they could track it, and they merged the two together, and the middle was a digital network. And they exactly. combined the two, 
And at the same time, what happened is those two networks become be called are part of what's called the shared economy because these two people are Airbnb sharing. Airbnb is that, another you know another prime example and, of that uh, same Thumbtack phenomenon. Thumbtack is another one. Tender is another one. These the the, the 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 romantic dating sites are other ones, and there there are thousands of them. And in 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 the in many many countries, that's one of the biggest growth factors in, in terms of China. By the way, the largest growth factor is in this area of the shared economy. But that gets back to the next point. Yeah is yes. the third point in, in this evolution of holding companies more accountable is that in, uh, that employees, um, because employees want to work for people that honor them, respect them, listen to them, uh, listen to, want to have them involved in innovation, uh, these, these are attracting a new kind of employee who will become more loyal. Um, if you look at the data right now, millennials do not last more than two to three years in many corporations because many corporations do not listen to the millennials. The millennials have a whole attitude which they want those those qualities which I was saying. They want to be listened to. They want to be part of the decision process. They want to be respected. They want to innovate. They want to bring the company to go in new directions. You know, this is what the new employee mm-hmm. wants. If you have employees mm-hmm. that you that listen to and respect, they're going to perform, motivate, innovate in ways that you have never heard before and create a, a much better bottom line. And, and the yeah. last thing is that there is a higher level of profitability and productivity of the entire corporation based upon sales, efficiency, production, and so forth. And, and the data really shows that the um, – there was a study by Conscious Capitalism said of, eight, uh, of um, 18 publicly traded companies out of 28 performed in the S&P 500 index by a factor of 10.5 plus years over, the, over a 15-year period from 1996 to 2015. So the level of profit of, of corporations who uh, foster an attitude of social impact and true comprehensive citizenship has produced much higher rewards in terms of financial outcome. Unilever has said the same, has has demonstrated the same thing. There are three uh, most successful verticals and brands are the ones that have the highest social responsibility index. And we can go that, I could show you 15 other companies that, that show the same kind of financial returns. So, so there's, when you go a into a company, Ira, let me let me ask you a question, please. Sure. And that is, you are uh, have been a consultant, and you are a transformational consultant to companies large and small, which includes multinationals, corporate, you know, at least Fortune 500s or thousand. So when you right. go in, number one, who is it that is calling you in, and number two, what? are they hoping for expecting however not wanting you to go too far in any one direction if they see that really costing their bottom financial bottom line you're right. in a bit of an interesting position and i'd like to just unearth a little bit of what that looks like and what that feels like in your position well um yes i've done a lot of consulting uh you know on three or four continents around the world and, uh, you know, I, I give one uh, very specific example. 
uh, I consulted with the equivalent of Del Monte Foods, which is like a you know a, a manufacturer and producer of vegetables and ketchups and mayonnaises and all kinds of things, right, in our food stores. And I was dealing with the equivalent in, in, in Central Europe. And the person that called us in was the CEO of the company. And, and they realized that the, the world of digital was transforming their company, and if they did not um, change uh, and adapt to this world, they were going to be left behind. And that's that's true, 100% true. So, and when you say they, converting to digital, could you spell that out? What that means? Well, I'm I'm saying they that's what they that's what they bought into. They realized that they had to digitize their company, and most people. But think what about does that digital. mean? I'm asking you, okay. what does that mean? I understand. So most people think that digital is is converting their media to social media and uh, digital uh, digital appliances and and changing their software and their company. But digital really means a, a, a culture uh, and mindset shift in the entire company. Because a company is digital, and if we use digital as an adjective, like digital media, uh, a digital product, means that the, the, the media uh, is connected, and the media generates uh, information-rich data, which you can use in decision-making. So that's the two components of a true digital operation. And and how that changes a company is that the company has to begin looking at its values. And this is the full circle of where we're talking about. And mm-hmm. and this is the, the, the discrepancy between one's individual values, the values of the CEO and the board, the values of the marketing managers and the production team, and the managers of the consumers who are buying these products and consuming their products and uh, distributing these products and disposing of these products. So when we get into that situation, the company then, the first thing we need to do in a company is really evaluate uh, the, the values of their team because values drive mindset and mindset and values drive purpose in the company. And the the way these new companies that we're talking about who have a high level of citizenship and corporate responsibility, we call them purposeful companies. We call the brands purposeful brands because the brands mm-hmm. just are not there to make money, but they're also there to benefit a higher purpose in the company. So the first thing we do is we do an analysis in, in business, we we do a thing called the uh, the SWOT analysis, the SWOT analysis, uh, strengths, weaknesses, uh, opportunities, and threats. So we look at all those aspects of the company, both in terms of internal and external threats, and as well as the attitude and the beliefs of the company. And in the in the transformation of these companies, we have found, as you. Uh, alluded to at the beginning of this question, that a company doesn't want to move too fast because their power is built upon controlling information. Remember, digital is opening Mm -hmm. up the data and become transparent. Their Mm -hmm. power is built upon their position in the company, their family position, their monetary position, their market position. But the new power 
uh, of the digital world is in listening to your customers because you're listening to their feedback, listening to your employees, listening to your community, listening to all your stakeholders. We call this in marketing obsessively listening to your your stakeholders um, and your shareholders. Interestingly, so what you're seeing here is a, a transformation from a top-down hierarchy, which, by the way, still remains. However, there is an equalization, um, a democratization, if you will, of information flow, in this case, from employees and from consumers, you know, customers, back up through the the chain of command, so to speak. So there's more of a flow, there's more of a feedback loop again. You're, you're, you're 100% right. And therefore, what, what has happened in these corporations is after we do the assessment of the values and we work on developing a mindset, the next element we try to use, develop is trying to change the organizational structure so that there is a flattening of the hierarchy and mm-hmm. an open channel from where the information flows from bottom to, to top as from top to bottom. And there's an yeah. open channel of communication. So the power, and this is, this is the new definition of power, power used to be based upon hierarchy and position, and the, 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 the power made information flow from top to bottom. And it was based upon the currency you controlled that, that information, right? The new mm-hmm. power is the based upon a, a, a current, where a current flows wherever people are listening and the people are open to it, and it can flow up and down, across and sideways, and that's what a network like is that. all about. So the network yes. is, is the new power is one of absorbing all the energy and the information from all aspects of the network because it's a current instead of controlling which way it's happening. And that's the difference. At the same point, there's a new definition in companies about the relationship, uh, the, the, the attitude of relationships. If we go back to the original example in the village, when we went to the village and we'd buy a cup of tea in Morocco, the person who you were getting the cup of tea, you felt like you were in love with them. They served you. They treated like you were an age-old friend. You, they, they, mm-hmm. they opened their heart to you. They talked about things they wanted to know about you they, that you wanted to know about them. There was a relationship of open honesty, of sharing. And that's what love mm-hmm. is all about. If we really yes. love the other person, we think about what the other person's needs are. And in the new, in the new love, in the new corporation, there has to be a, a love of people, a love of community, a love of purpose. And these are different Beautiful. elements. And, and the, this has really been um, uh, uh, accentuated by uh, the Chinese. Um, uh, Jack Ma is the founder of Alibaba. He was a school teacher. And he came mm-hmm. to the United States uh, during the digital revolution on an exchange program. And he got, uh, he got amazed and was so impressed with the power of the Internet. So when he went back, he got some of his buddies together, and he he formed the first e-commerce company in China. Long story short, Alibaba is now one of the most successful companies in the world, clearly. Um, And his his model of business is based upon not only what he calls IQ, which is 
the, int the intelligence quotient or the technical training needed for the world. But the second one, which most companies deal with, is EQ or emotional intelligence, right? Emotional, emotional mm -hmm. quality, empathy, listening. But he says the most critical element for success in what I call is world 4.0 is LQ, mm -hmm. is love. The love component love. is treating yes. people the way you treat your lover, the way you treat your child, your husband, wife, with that kind of listening, with that kind of attention, with that kind of yes. care, that's what the corporation, that's what the educational institution, that's what the government has to do in this day and age. It's very spiritual. It goes back to the spiritual underpinnings of all the world major religions. You have to really, yes. you have to really love first the person instead of, instead of thinking about your alternative motive of getting something from you, you have to be giving something from giving something to them. Well, in fact, so, I did an interview with a woman who uh, uh, wrote a book called SQ, which was is spiritual intelligence, which is you right. could say the holistic combination of all different types of intelligence, sort of merged into into one, including love intelligence. But I, I really like that kind of breakdown and. You discuss this in such beautiful uh, depth in your article, Strategic Harmony, 21 Solutions to Our Shattered World. And I, right. I really appreciate this article, Ira, because in it you are bringing us first around from this position, our armchair philosophers, of critiquing all of the problems in our world. And you know what? That has its own value, and I think it's healthy to do that up to a certain point. The most interesting part of the article is what is launches us into the creative aspect of, okay, guys, let's get going and let's shape our future as we see it rather than just building on the old building blocks of the past, which clearly has failed us in all domains, by the way. Absolutely. So just to say you're, that, you're, I wanted to bring that article to the attention of our listeners so they could uh, look that up as well for themselves because it's, I think it's a uh, well, that, that, that's it's seminal book, uh, to this that, conversation. That, that article um, is really based upon, uh, you know, 40 years of my uh, study of, uh, of Sufic meditation and Sufic practices. And it, yes. it really comes out as trying to understand um, how we can uh, purify ourselves and uh, become more understanding of uh, how we could become uh, be better people in the world and be contributing yes. uh, to uh, a society which is um, we're looking at giving instead of taking. We're looking at exactly. uh, serving instead of wanting something from another person and, and in terms of uh, giving and forgiving people. Uh, along the way. So I'd like to bring up another uh, aspect of the conversation uh, that's been embedded, basically, which is this idea that I think is gaining in relevance uh, and conversation, and I'm very glad about that, and that's biomimicry. So when you were talking about the kind of change that you seek to bring about when you are brought into a corporation, large or small, uh, where there are increased feedback loops throughout the system, so from customers, from employees, 
on and on and on, and going and you called it a flattening. I called it a democratization of communication, if you will. Um, right. Sort of reminds me, really, of the human nervous system, where one part is always communicating with another part. Frequently, it goes to the brain or to the spine, uh, and the information is always looping. So, if there's pain in a certain area, if there's a bliss in a certain area, you know, this information is transmitted back to headquarters, you could say, and the human being there can then, um, you know. Uh, adapt in whatever way they need to to the new information available. But it, it's just kind of a nice way of thinking about and looking at a new corporate structure sort of as a an ongoing nervous system that's always providing feedback. Well, I think that really leads us into uh, the, the evolution of, of the corporation or the evolution of the business. And in all the data that I've been presenting and, and the discussion about where business is, is that in all of these studies, uh, the, the executives as well as the next generation are looking to business as being the catalyst for change. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, we're redefining the leader in, instead of one who enables a company and directs a company to becoming a catalyzer. Uh, one who changes mm, the company. Yeah. And uh, th these yes. new organizations have to be based upon four core values. We call them, and I've co-authored this book uh, that you've referred to as an article. It's an article, but it's introducing a new book on strategic harmony uh, with uh, mm. Velimir Shirker, which is a co-author from, from, um, from Croatia. And, and yeah. Velimir and I have looked at uh, four, we call them test values, and, and one has to really hold himself accountable to these values as implementing both on the personal level and the organizational level. And the first one is trust, and clearly. The second one is empathy. The third one is sustainability. And the fourth one is transparency. All the, worlds that, all the words that we've been talking about. But those sure. four values uh, translate or fuel one's purpose. And when you yeah. ignite one's purpose, it becomes a passion. Um, yeah. You know, people have a passion in this world, unfortunately, for tribal politics. So they either go on one side or the other. So there's a passion there. We have to find a passion for e e equality, for inclusiveness, for uh, openness. Cooperation. For benefiting community, for sustainability. That's the passion we have to have. And we see that the, the mindset of the organization has to be transformed. And, and that transformation we call a, a catalytic mindset, and it has four lenses, uh, four different ways of looking at the world. One is that we have to be willing and open to break down our assumptions and our, our foundational beliefs about something. That means if you're going from uh, point A to point B, and you're using a vehicle for transporting yourself, it doesn't have to have four wheels. It could ride on air. That's a foundational belief. So that's involved in a whole new way of looking at design. The second thing is we have to become entrepreneurs. We have to be able to take risks. And it sort of goes back to the, the world of the 3D printer, where you can, instead of having an R&D research and development team having to wait three and six months to invent a new idea or product, this, you could reinvent by just changing the parameters on a 3D printer and invent a new product. 
time the new the new idea and test it out. And the third thing is that we live in a connected world. We have to learn just like uh, just like Alibaba has and e-commerce and Amazon has and Airbnb and Thumbtack has and, and so many of these other companies which are using shared value to learn how to use networks in a w- different way and connect people and leverage them in a way that can create the social good. And, and the fourth yeah. thing is that just like I said about data, we have to use in the intelligence aspect of the social media world, not just to be like Cambridge Analytics has, which used it in a, in a way which corrupted <laughs> and used the system for a negative aspect, we're trying to yeah, use data. Yeah, you're bringing up a very important point. You're bringing, yes. you're bringing up a very important point because of my work in psychology is a very interesting thing. We're talking about cultural change inside the environment of a corporation or any kind of institution, but at the same time, that's predicated on the ability of a human being to change his own cultural beliefs, as you're saying, which is the first of your foundational changes. But So then we have to start to take a look even at, at the neuroscience, if you will, and what is it that governs our ability to change? What gives us that leverage, neuroplasticity? But what is it that also keeps us kind of habituated to the familiar and playing safe? sort of a reptilian function by and large. So, we, you know, at the end of the day, we're coming down to looking at what changes people, what allows our own psyche to evolve and to shift and to transform. This is a bit of a challenging type of enterprise, fantastic as it is and much needed as it is, because the current status quo of our current mind-body-brain system has brought us to, you know, what I referred to at the beginning, Ira, of literally the brink of disaster that we do not know the damage that we have caused to our overall ecosystem that we love to refer to as Gaia. And so not only is it on a physical level that there's been such damage, but even on, let's say, love is that binding force of the entire universe. There's been an erosion also of that, which goes hand in hand with the erosion, I would say, of trust. Your comments, well, and we're so ri- I, I winding up here, agree. so I've given you a lot to respond to here, but yeah. if you could take a few minutes and uh, wrap well, this up, that would be great. Well, I think you've you, hit, you really hit the nail where 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 I wanted where I wanted to lead the conversation. Oh, is, okay, good. It, it, it goes back to that we we talked about accountability within the company, and we have to talk about accountability within ourselves. In in all yeah. in every spiritual practice of any religion or spiritual discipline, we have to look at ourselves and hold ourselves accountable in terms of our own practices, our own attitudes, our our own uh, the way we. Uh, address people, uh, what we want from people, what we're giving to people, um, how we treat them emotionally, and so forth. And just like the company has to reinvent themselves, the manager, or the catalyzer, as I call them, have to reinvent themselves. And the first aspect of this new corporation has to be on self-reflection. We have to to take the time to self-reflect. We have to Mm -hmm. take the time to be quiet and understand and go deep into who we are and to and to really develop a new way of thinking about situations 
which has to be free of all the old assumptions that we have. And in doing this, we have an opportunity uh, because the new generation, which I lump together the Zs and the millennials called next gen, is um, mm-hmm. is a, is a is a a generation which has a really high propensity for wanting change. Um, I think that the numbers are, there was a recent Harvard study, Harvard Political Institute study, which said that uh, in the United States, um, some 65% uh, of, excuse me, uh, 14% of, of these millennials, 18 to 29, believe that the U.S. is going in the right direction. And 50% believe that neither political party is be able to address their needs. And they, more of these, these young people believed in socialism and capitalism, socialism and communism than in capitalism. At mm. the same time, this same generation has, a, has an incredible desire for personal uh, for social responsibility in the company. Uh, 88% of millennials believe that business should play a role in solving social problems. And the same number almost say that they should, that, that uh, millennial, that companies should be held to something other than profit as a measurement. And the Z generation numbers, that my, my kids are 16 and 14, they're, they're even eclipsed those numbers. They're in the 90%. And when you go internationally, it's the same way. So in this regard, uh, I've been working with um, a, a, n- a non-governmental organization called Legacy International, L-E-G, LegacyIntl.org, for 20 years. I was the founder, the co-founder with Jay Rash, who's the founder of the organization. And uh, one of the things that we have seen is that we have to invest in the emerging leaders of the world in a very, very different way. And um, they have developed over four decades an incredible uh, global uh, recognition and reputation for working with these emerging leaders from uh, the, the, the 14, 15 year olds in, in terms of a summer camp, which is called the Global Village, to entrepreneurs and uh, uh, people who are working in civil society and public health around the world. And they train these, these young people. But we've created a thing called the Global Transformation Corps. And we're trying to Uberize entrepreneurship, or what you called at the beginning social entrepreneurship, of how mm-hmm. you create an entity which creates um, an, an opportunity for these entrepreneurs not to think of, not to want to become a unicorn in the sense of becoming a billionaire, but become a unicorn in terms of facilitating quadruple bottom line and social and community purpose in their country, because we need that desperately around yes. the world. And yes, why can't uh, why can't um, a solution about sex slavery or a, a quality organic food product, uh, which has been developed in Honduras, not, not be shared on the same network, same digital network that was designed for Uber to match uh, a driver with a, a, a person that needs a ride? Why can't we match yes. somebody who has a need in one country with a person who has a solution in another country? So we're yes. trying to match in the Global Transformation Corps Beautiful. emerging entrepreneurs with a new breed of investor, which is called the impact investor, or one that has a social mm-hmm. responsibility um, uh, attitude, to, and with experts who are really committed to this. And, and the, sure. the world is changing so much that it, it gives you a little bit of hope. I, I don't know if you were aware that um, the, one of the leading 
uh, investing groups in the world called the the BlackRock Invest. They had they control mm-hmm. I think it's six trillion dollars of assets. Uh, mm-hmm. They that the, Larry Fink made a statement that he said, and he's he's their uh, the principal. He said he demanded of all the companies they invest in to invest in a social purpose and make a positive contribution to society. This attitude among CEOs and Paul Pullman of Unilever and you know uh, Tony Hsu of Zappos and uh, Jeff Bezos, all, many of these CEOs and, and the Bill Gates and the Warren Buffetts, they're looking at social impact and purpose. So there's a tipping point in the CEO level. The problem, sure. Mitchell, is that many of the companies have not uh, got on the bandwagon. They say 77% of them or so say that it's important to be socially responsible and give back to your community. But only 18%, a very, very small percentage, made it strategic priority because they don't see the value in it yet. And yeah. a very small number, less than 20%, have even projects in the area. So there's a real strategic opportunity for businesses to read these signs and look at the opportunity in appealing to what is going to be 75% of the workforce by 2025, this millennial generation, to appeal to them both as employees, which is a critical aspect of their business, as consumers, and as members of their community. So there's our Absolutely. huge opportunity for social change huge. and business change. Along that and same letting- line. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, there's a huge opportunity. It's, it's more than an opportunity. From my point of view, it's not an It's we're sitting on the brink of disaster, and right. so I don't care anymore what it is that motivates people. It could be from the positive side of I want to make a difference and I want a life of meaning. That was the other point I wanted to make earlier. I want to have a life of meaning, which is uh, driven by a sense of mission and purpose, like we were talking about before. But there's the other side is. The world is on fire. Rome is burning. And either we're going to wake up and do something about it, or we're all going down. And I've gone beyond the idea, Ira, of what I really care what motivates people, whether it's from the positive side or the fear side. Things need to change, and we need to be the midwife of that change, or as you said, the catalyzer or the facilitator, whatever words. But we're in a very dire strait, and we will not get the truth in most media, although here at A Better World we seek to bring forward as much truth about what's really going on climatically as we can, as well as in human relationships. And there's a lot to be very encouraged by, I would say, without any question. There are so many initiatives, and knowing you and the work that you're doing and many other people, Paul Hawken and his work, Blessed Unrest, and Drawdown, and the Pachamama Alliance, and on it goes. I'm working with a uh, a small social impact investing hedge fund down in Atlanta that is got formed only for the purpose of driving more money, yes, to their investors, so that the principals will have more money to give away and to right. invest in those kind of charitable and you know purpose driven organizations that they themselves feel so strongly about so the world is changing and i do think it's for the good i have been 
carrying this for so long and have been involved in this for so many decades that I feel like I need to push the river at this point because I, I see, you know, um, the sky is falling. And I, I feel very much that I really want to nudge this along, which is why I wanted to have you on the show today because you are well, so much a mover and a shaker in these spaces and are doing so much to, uh, re, you know, encourage people, including the millennials and the next gen, as you said, to making the positive moves that need to be made if we're going to get out of this alive. I'll put it that way. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with you, and I, I think that the, the, the line between generations has to be one of integration. Uh, we we have to work together. We have to find what wisdom one generation has, what passion another generation has, what insights right. and technology another generation has, and we have to find a way to collaborate and, and work together. And, and you know, Very Abraham true. Maslow, some many you know, thirty, forty years ago, said uh, he was he had a great insight into the future. And he says, management and business have to change to become enlightened. Interesting. Yeah, and he says, the indeed. line between business and community must be so tight and aligned that you can't see light between them. You can't separate uh, them. And, and I, and I think we have to really begin to be enlightened. We have to enlighten our institutions in a way that comes from within ourselves, and that's where that love comes from. That's right. We have to feel that's that love, right. and we have to really – we have to empower organizations with love and trust in those that's values right. that we talked about. And, and that is, that's the hope. We have to start with our values. And if we don't start with our values, we can't be accountable to those own <clears throat> values, both on a personal and an organizational level. And I would only say that I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing with a, a better world uh, and, and the, your, the work that you do to share these kinds of venues and the opportunity of being with you, uh, and sharing this and being a friend. So thank you very much. Beautiful. You're so welcome, Myra. Thanks so much for being on the show today and sharing your many years of experience and wisdom uh, from both your work in business and the Sufis that uh, you're bringing forward here and your spiritual life altogether. It's very impactful, and thank you again for being on with us. Do you have a website or anywhere that you would like to direct people's attention if they want to know more? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I have a, 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 a content website which shares a lot of my views. It's called www.thinkcatalytic.com, thinkcatalytic.com. My corporate website is www.entwinedigital.com. And the work that I do um, uh, with the Global Transformation Corps is gtcorp.com. C-O-R-P-S dot com and the work of Legacy International is L-E-G-A-C-Y-I-N-T-L dot org. They've been working 40 years on trying to integrate values into the younger generation on a global basis and create the kind of change Beautiful. that we're all working for. Thank you very much. Eric Kaufman, thank you again and I hope to speak with you soon. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Ira Kaufman, main, main strategizer, catalyst, as he was talking about, uh, in bringing this kind of intelligence and wisdom, uh, heart intelligence, obviously, as well, 
into the marketplace, into the corporate world is of such importance that uh, I just really was eager to have him on sharing with all of you. And I know you've heard a lot of this uh, from me over time here at A Better World, and yet there is something so refreshing and novel in what Ira brings to the table because he's been at it for so long and has his own unique ways of discussing this and effects that he's had on the world. So I really thank Ira Kaufman for the great work he's been doing for a long time. And I want to thank all of you who are listening from all different corners of the world, from Australia and Canada to Mexico and India. I think it's just fantastic, and of course Europe as well. It's just a real pleasure for me and honor to be able to serve you all in this way. I love hearing from you as well at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. And if you would remember that we are a nonprofit 501c3, so any possible donations, contributions, investments in a better world that you're able to make is always appreciated. It helps us to sustain as well as to generate more and more programming on your and the planet's behalf. So I want to thank you again. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Remember, also, you can see our Manhattan-based cable TV show every Monday evening at 7 p.m. through our website, abetterworld.tv. That's www.abetterworld.tv. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. (laughs) 